Hello everyone, I'm John, one of the High Rock Pastors. I love Christmas time. It's my favorite holiday. As a pastor, I know I'm supposed to say that Easter is my favorite, but it's Christmas. And ever since I got into winter hiking and camping, it's also the start of my favorite season. I love the food, the drinks, the traditions, the smells, the gaudy decorations, the blinking lights, the all-day TBS marathon of a Christmas story. I love it all. I'm getting excited just talking about it. But if there's one stain on the wonder that is Christmas time, it's Christmas music. You all know what I mean. On the one hand, there's traditional Christmas music. And on the other hand, there are the decades of mind-numbing Christmas albums put out by singers trying to cash in on the holiday. Everyone has at least one Christmas song that makes their ears bleed every time it's played. You all have at least one song you would banish to the island of misfit toys. In fact, why don't you lean over to the person next to you and share what song you'd rather do without this Christmas. And if you both pick the same song, give each other a high five. Solidarity. That's one of our values, right? Did anyone pick Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer? I mean, it was fun when we were in grade school, but it gets old quick. Or how about I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus? Talk about childhood confusion and trauma. Or how about Baby It's Cold Outside? And that includes the attempt to fix the lyrics in the John Legend version. Bonus points if you're thinking of the version with Sarah Bareilles and Seth MacFarlane of Family Guy. What a train wreck. And before there was We Are the World, there was Do They Know It's Christmas. Even Bob Geldof, one of the writers of that song, now calls it one of the two worst songs in history. Or maybe you chose Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas, which is the ultimate earwig that gets stuck in your brain. Just mentioning it probably restarted that chorus in your head on an unending loop. Sorry, not sorry. But my pick... For me, the ultimate worst Christmas song ever would have to be Santa Baby. I don't care if it's the Pussycat Dolls or Gwen Stefani or Trisha Yearwood or Kelly Pickler or Taylor Swift or Ariana Grande or Michael Buble. I don't care who sings it. I don't want to hear it. With songs like that as contenders... Imagine my surprise when a very dear friend said that the Christmas song she could not stomach was none other than Mary Did You Know. Why that song? Unlike so many Christmas time songs, Mary Did You Know actually puts the Christ in Christmas. It starts out, Mary did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water. Mary did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters. Now, this dear friend is a devout Christian. So what did she have against this song? Was it because of the mansplainy elements or the endless memes? But it wasn't that at all. For my friend, it was the false sincerity. In a sea of syrupy, silly, and schmaltzy songs, many artists seem to pick songs like Mary Did You Know to signal their sincerity while also simultaneously giving them a prime chance to showcase their rich voices. And I think it was the Clay Aiken version that ruined it for her.
Maybe I should follow up with her and see if the pentatonics version made it better or worse. Personally, I find the CeeLo Green rendition captivating and even haunting. Maybe that's why his version seems to get so little play. It sounds like worship music. I think it's a song worthy of redemption. The lyrics are a constant stream of questions that invite us to engage our curiosity as we consider how Mary would have, or might have, understood the message that the angel delivered to her in the scripture that we just read. We're currently in the second week of a series on the Gospel of Luke that will carry us all the way to Easter. We'll be looking at all the ways that God calls us and challenges us to live as a part of God's kingdom rather than the kingdoms of this world or even our own. And this first part of Luke works perfectly within Advent's invitation to prepare for the coming of God's kingdom. And today, that invitation starts with a greeting from the angel to Mary. Greetings, says the angel. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. What did Mary know? What did she understand in that moment? Mary wasn't just an empty vessel or a blank slate. She understood enough to be troubled at the angel's words. It's a subtle detail, but do you see it? She's not troubled by the appearance of the angel. She's troubled by the content of his message. Last week, we considered the elderly uncle, her elderly uncle, Zechariah's encounter with the angel, and he was gripped with fear at the sight before the angel had even spoken. Mary was so young at the time. In that time and place, women were usually married in their early teens. Despite her youth, she can read between the lines. The angel is pure positivity saying, you're highly favored. God is with you. You go, girl. But Mary knows that God doesn't show up just to say hi and tell you how wonderful you are. When God showed up with Abraham, Abraham had to leave his family and journey hundreds of miles facing countless challenges along the way. When God showed up with Jacob, Jacob left with a lifelong limp to remember their encounter. When God showed up in Moses to Moses with the burning bush, it meant that Moses was being called to go back to Egypt, literally the one place he most wanted to avoid. In contrast to her uncle, Mary seems like she was brave enough to not fear the sight of the angel. But she also seems smart enough to know that the call of God carries consequences. The call of God can feel a lot like a curse when you have other plans. And Mary had plans. She was engaged to be married to Joseph. But just like God's call had disrupted the, disrupted the plans of so many of her spiritual ancestors, Mary apparently sensed that this greeting, this calling, came with consequences as well. Mother Teresa famously said, I know God will not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish that he didn't trust me so much. Like Mother Teresa, I wonder if Mary was starting to wish that, we, that she were favored just a little bit less. I didn't grow up in the faith. I was more like God's loyal opposition. But after becoming a believer in college, I decided that I was going to transfer to a Christian school. 
I didn't grow up with Kids Rock. I didn't have a youth group or vacation Bible school. I didn't have Christian parents to pass on a Christian worldview. So choosing a Christian college seemed like the right thing to do. One of the colleges I decided to visit was Houghton up in Western New York State. That night of my first visit, they were having a healing and prayer service in the campus chapel and I decided to attend. As I walked up to the chapel and I reached out to grab the door handle, I was suddenly overwhelmed with a sense of dread. Like Mary, I was overcome with the realization that God was about to do something with my life. And who knows where that might lead? Even as a new Christian, I knew enough of the Bible to know that God's call comes with challenges. And looking at the heroes of the faith, that call often looks like a curse. I was putting my life into God's hands. Who knows what God might do? When Mary is troubled by the greeting of the angel, I get it, at least a little bit. There's a kind of holy dread that overcomes you when you realize that you are in the hands of the living God. One of the great human universals is our fear of the unknown. We fear the dark. We fear what we do not understand and cannot control. Our future is the realm of the unknown, the realm of fear, which is something that Pastor Walt talked about in Zechariah's story last week. Do you fear the unknown? Do you fear getting too close to God? We're continually told in Scripture to not be afraid, but how can you not when you consider that God might want to lead you somewhere that you do not want to go? At least not yet. I visited Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City back in the 90s. Pastor Tim Keller was sharing a story of two young women who were friends who were studying at Columbia. Very prestigious school. They had bright futures ahead of them. The only problem is that their time in college and at Redeemer had led them to both take their faith more seriously. And they both believed that God was calling them to leave the secure career paths that Columbia had prepared them prepared for them and instead to give their lives in service on the mission field. The church celebrated their call with them. Their parents, however, were not nearly so excited. So they paid Tim Keller a visit. In their eyes, this whole calling thing was a terrible idea. They wanted Keller to convince their daughters to do something more sensible. Maybe they could pursue their careers and use their incomes to support others who would answer the call. Maybe they could just serve God in their own communities without going anywhere. Columbia had prepared them for solid futures with clear paths forward and job security. Keller listened to these Christian parents and then responded in his signature calm and incisive manner. He said, All of us are going to one day face death and fall either into an endless void or the arms of a just and loving God. And you want job security? Parents, do you fear what God might do with your children if they should feel the call of God on their lives? We want a little bit of God. That's great. But not too much. That's dangerous. Mary pauses in a moment of holy dread as she considers the angel's message. 
I paused as I reached out my hand to grab the door of that Houghton College Chapel. What's your moment of holy dread? Like those Columbia parents, do you fear the possibilities as you begin to let go of control? Or maybe you're considering something you read in the Bible or heard in one of the sermons or a challenge that came up with a spiritual friend or your small group. Maybe it's a call to forgive or even reconcile with someone who has hurt you deeply. Maybe you're weighing a big career or financial decision. Maybe you're even deciding whether or not you want to follow Jesus at all. What is the door in front of you where you're reaching out but your hand stops in a moment of holy dread. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at how Mary responded. Mary, did you know? What did you know? What did you not know? And perhaps most importantly, how did Mary respond when she reached the limits of her understanding? She was undoubtedly a smart girl, apparently wiser than her uncle Zechariah. But we all reach the limits of our knowledge, and on the other side lies fear, fear of the unknown. What does she do with that fear? What can we learn from Mary when we fear what might happen if we let God actually lead us? Seeing that Mary was greatly troubled, the angel said, Do not be afraid. Why not? Because you have found favor with God. That word for finding favor with God, that word in Greek is charis, a gift, grace. Don't be afraid, Mary. God is about to give you a gift. What is this gift? You will give birth to a son whom you will call Jesus, which means God saves. But Mary already knows something about this gift. One who is called the Son of the Most High one who will receive the throne of his ancestor David, one who will have an everlasting rule. These words tell her that this gift, this child, will be the promised Messiah. A coming kingdom needs a coming king, and Mary, you will be the mother to that king. What an incredible blessing. We can't know for sure what Mary understood about the coming Messiah, but one interesting approach to take is to look at the Psalms. In his book, The Bible Jesus Read, author Philip Yancey notes that then as now, the Psalms were the most read part of the Bible. Young boys were apparently trained in the Torah, the books of Moses, because they might become rabbis. But girls were not allowed to become rabbis, so they studied the Psalms, the worship songs, because even though they couldn't be rabbis or priests, they could be worship leaders. Interesting side note, of all the books of the Bible he could choose from, Jesus quoted from the Psalms more than any other book. I have no way of knowing, but I wonder if he drew so heavily from the Psalms because he wanted to speak to all people, women included. So of all the parts of the Bible that Mary might hold in her heart, the Psalms, the worship songs, were likely the center of her understanding. If we want to ask, Mary, did you know? We should look to the Psalms to see what she might have known. Psalm 2 speaks about this coming king, calling him God's son. We are told to kiss him, an act of devotion and reverence. 
The opening of Psalm 110 hints at a divine status for the Messiah. When the teachers of the religious law challenged Jesus in the temple, he quoted this opening of Psalm 110 and then posed a question to them. If David, the writer of this song, calls his descendant, the Messiah, Lord, how can this Messiah be his son? You see, no father, especially a king, is going to call his son Lord unless that son is really, really special. This same verse would be quoted twice in the New Testament book of Hebrews to point to the divinity of Jesus. Perhaps Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are the backdrop for Mary's understanding as she listens to the word of the angel. Maybe that's what Mary knew. But it's not all good news. Psalm 118 was the final part of the Hallel, a grouping of psalms that Israel would sing at Passover when they remembered the sacrificial lamb whose blood would protect them. At that closing psalm, or in that closing psalm, it predicts the rejection of the Messiah, saying, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The builders are Israel, or at least the religious leaders, and they will reject the Messiah who will become the stone upon which the entire building holds together. Psalm 22 was also part of the Hallel. The same psalm, those psalms, excuse me, that were sung at Passover. And Psalm 22 would go into even greater detail about the rejection of the Messiah. It's the very song that Jesus quotes from the cross when he says, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That psalm goes on to describe vivid details that would play out at the cross, even though it was written over eight centuries before they happened. It includes details like the mocking crowds, the, the dividing of his garments and casting lots for them, his incredible thirst, even the piercing of his hands and feet. These details were written before crucifixion even existed, before Rome even existed. If her mind and heart were spiritually formed by the Psalms, these songs, then these are some of the mysteries Mary would have known. I believe that, like Mary, we all have many promises from God that we do not fully understand. And that's why Mary is such a wonderful image of what a true disciple looks like. In many ways, she's the first disciple. She's the one who brings the good news into the world, literally. There are two elements to Mary's faithfulness that I encourage us to emulate as she leads the way for us. The first is that she had to respond to what she did know and what she did not and could not know. So how did she respond? First, her response was obedience though that word sounds so hollow compared to what really happened. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Technically, yes, that's obedience, but it's much more. The first step to walking with Mary is to remember who you are. Mary is a servant, the Lord's servant. Her life belongs to God. That is her very identity. Laying hold of that identity, she chooses to lean into her faith rather than her fear, welcoming the fulfillment of the Lord's word in her life. 
When I put my hand to the door at that Houghton College Chapel and felt that sense of holy dread, I had to respond. I felt like opening that door was like Mary saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Even though it scares me half to death right now. What about you? What's the door in front of you where you have to decide whether you're going to lean into fear or lean into faith? Are you a parent who is dreading some of the choices you have to make? Is fear welling up in you as a spiritual invitation from God has come to you through the Bible or a Sunday service or through a spiritual conversation? Maybe it's that call to forgive or even reconcile. Or that big decision about work or, or finances or, or which opportunity to say yes to. Or once again, maybe you're not even deciding, or maybe you're deciding whether or not you want to follow Jesus at all. What is the door in front of you where you're reaching out, but your hand stops in a moment of holy dread? Whatever that door may be, Mary shows us that you can choose faith over fear first by remembering who you are, remembering whose you are. Are you the Lord's servant? Then remember that truth and walk in it. That identity can be your light, even if everything else seems like darkness. Whatever you are facing, Remember that this is a girl, a young teen, who is saying yes to becoming an unwed, pregnant teen in a world where that status could cost her everything, including the love of others or even her life. Like her, remember who you are and whose you are. The second thing that Mary did is really a word for those who decide to say yes to God and go through that door. After choosing to remember who you are, knowing that, what do you do with everything that you do not know? What then? If fear of the unknown is universal, how can we choose faith rather than fear when so much is unknowable? Mary had a brilliant response. She treasured these things in her heart. When Mary faced experiences that went beyond her understanding, Rather than reacting to moments of confusion with anger and frustration, Mary learned to welcome such moments with curiosity and expectancy. For instance, when she gave birth to Jesus in the midst of the lambs that would one day be replaced by Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice, suddenly, in the middle of the night, shepherds started showing up talking about singing choirs of angels. Imagine a bunch of strange, smelly, working-class men showing up in your birthing room. But for Mary, she didn't have to understand. Not all at once. She treasured these things in her heart. Mary, did you know? No, she did not. Not in that moment. But she celebrated that she was in God's hands, and maybe over time, the God in whom she trusted would enrich her with fuller understanding. Later, when Jesus was 12, she was suddenly reminded that Jesus was God's son more than her son. After a three-day panic about where her missing son was and then discovering him in the temple, amazing the teachers there, 
we're told once again that she treasured these things in her heart. I can't say for certain what it means to treasure things and ponder them in our hearts, but I believe it means at least this, that when we face difficult or perplexing situations and challenges, anytime we reach the limits of our understanding, we can choose to remain open and curious. Our natural instinct is to react to what we do not understand with fear. Mary's invitation to us is to see our limits as something that God will use to enrich our faith and our connection to God. So we treasure these things in our hearts and ponder them. I know that for some of you, the call of God really is a challenge. Sometimes, like for Mary, it seems like a curse. I don't know the challenge you're facing, and maybe it's even offensive to you to hint that it might be a gift. When people used to tell me that my daughter's autism was a gift, part of me wanted to punch him in the mouth. My first response was not to treasure these things in my heart. Remember who I am and whose I am? Sure. But I'm still working on that second step. I'm thankful for Mary's example, not only receiving God's call, but carrying it out, showing us the blessing of bringing Jesus to the world, even when it comes at great cost to us, as it did for her. Bringing Jesus into the world is a call that involves significant challenges and costs. But just as it was for Mary, God promises to be with us and reminds us that this calling is a gift it is God's grace given to us to share with a lost and hurting world. We're now going to have an opportunity to respond to God's word. Not only the scripture we just discussed, but more importantly, God's living word, Jesus. The angel gave Mary a blessing and an invitation which she accepted, saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. Take a moment now and silently consider God's invitation and challenge to you or that door that you might be hesitating to open right now. After a few moments of silence, we'll respond together in confession, which simply means to agree with God that we are the Lord's servants and may it be as God has said.